Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's guest producer Dylan again. You know Dylan got a job here because he heard of How Stuff Works because he was a Stuff You Should Know fan? This might be the most thrilling moment of Dylan's life. <laughs> the most thrilling two hours. Either that or the most illusion-shattering two hours. I think that since Dylan started working here, it's just been a slow anticlimax down, down, down. I think so, too. Leading to this moment yeah. of rock bottom. We're like that guy. <laughs> Rag him out. Oh, how's it going? It's going terrifically. How are you, Dylan? Good? He said, see, he knows he's a fan. Thumbs up. He didn't even try to speak. <laughs> Noel will be like, well, let me tell you. Yeah, let me see if I can find a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> he just shoves one of us out of the way. Dylan uh, knows what he's doing. Uh, you know what? I couldn't help but when I was researching this, probably because we just did this, is think about Genghis sure. Khan. And if you go on the internet and type in Attila the Hun or Genghis Khan, uh-huh. There are so many nerdy websites where people pit uh, fictional battles against historic leaders. Oh, really? Yeah, like who would have won in a cage match, Attila the Hunter, Genghis Khan. Right, but there's like actual thought put behind it or is it just like, no, Attila was cool. No, Genghis was cool. (laughs) There's a range from that to like the people who really put too much effort into it. Uh And um, but those are interesting to read. You know, like, you got to remember, guys, like, Genghis Khan had a thousand years of of, uh, weaponry development to his advantage. And when it comes to personal fighting tactics as opposed to leadership, those are two different things to talk about. (laughs) And then their voice changes until they become Toby from American Splendor. So Genghis Khan was, what, a thousand years after Attila the Hun? Is that correct? Well— because I thought the opposite. I thought he was BCE. And again, we just did a show on him, and I already forgot. It says here uh, 1162 for Chinggis. <laughs> right. And uh, 406 for Attila the Hun. That is fascinating. So, okay, yeah. I mean, Chinggis had a lot of advancements in that thousand years for sure. Yeah. And I don't know. I couldn't help but compare these guys. So I might just sort of pepper that in here and there. Okay. And, and, Comparing these, because our own article starts out by mentioning Julius Caesar, Alexander the Great, and Chinggis Khan right. uh, as some of the most brutal conquerors in antiquity. I really appreciate you moving to Chinggis. Well, might as well. Sure. <laughs> so Attila the Hun, he was around between—he was in the 5th f- century CE, right? 406 was— you know, they don't know exactly about his birth date, but they're they're putting it around 406. No, we should do this. Um, we should do this chronologically, but I think we should say out of the gate that there is a lot of um, debate in the in the historical field of just how much we could say about um, Attila the Hun's early life. Yeah, I mean, uh, over that period between him and uh, Chinggis, like there was a lot more record keeping too. Right. That's a, that's a great point. We don't even know what language the Hun spoke necessarily. No. There's we debate have on that. No idea. Um, apparently, one of the things you can kind of glean 
what language people spoke is um, from their names. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the uh, names associated with Attila the Hun and the Huns in general are Germanic. Mm -hmm. So they say, well, they spoke Germanic. Other people say, well, no, by the time Attila the Hun came around in the 5th century, um, the Germanic tongue had spread far and wide. So that's probably not what their native tongue originally was. It's just lost to time. One of the reasons it was lost to time is because these were, in the parlance of the day, total barbarians. They were nomadic horse people who lacked virtually any anything resembling a government, yeah. um, anything like a, an economy, anything like the the trappings of what you would call a civilization. They were, by definition, barbarians, right? Yeah. Uh, but all that aside, it's not to say that 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 civilization is just everything's perfect. It definitely has its own flaws, and barbarianism has its own amazements, right? <laughs> but the the thing that made the Huns definitive barbarians is because they would come through, sack your town, burn it down, kill you and your family, and then just move on. They would take your gold. They had no desire to subjugate you, to, to rule you, to extract taxes, to maybe make you grow crops for them. Nothing. Mm-hmm. It was basically pillaging, raping, and murdering is what the the Huns were known for because that's what they did. Yeah, and I think the main difference that I found, well, plenty of differences, but the main one between he and Khan was sort of like you said, like Geng- Genghis Khan wanted to rule the world and spread his empire as mm-hmm. as ruler of peoples. And Attila the Hun, by all accounts, wanted to collect gold. Right. Um, but was also, for all his uh, ferocity, there are also scholars and historians who believe that, uh, man, I might get these names mixed up now that I'm all in my head about it. I, I'm, I've been <laughs> just hanging on by my fingernail. Uh, there are a lot of scholars and historians who believe that Attila the Hun is was also... Uh, sort of a fair person and generally a man of his word and maybe rustled up a lot of these stories to drive himself, to drive fear right. into his enemies and was not as brutal as maybe history uh, believes in some cases. Yeah, but I, I – so you remember when we did the Chinggis Khan episode, like there was a lot of – um a lot of examples of things you could point to and be like, they improved the world in these ways. Right. There, You can count the ones about Attila the Hun like basically on your fingers. And when when it was an example of him being like uncharacteristically magnanimous by sparing somebody's life, Mm -hmm. it was totally out of character for him. And like uh, um, one of the things about Chinggis Khan as well is that if you surrendered without a fight— if you just said, we surrender, mm-hmm. take our town, you would live, and you would live now under the rule of the Mongols. Yes. But Attila the Hun, he and the Huns would kill you. They'd kill your whole town. Offering no resistance whatsoever did not guarantee in any way, shape, or form survival when you encountered the Huns. They terrified people for hundreds of years in Europe. But at the same time, if you paid your, your uh, what, what do you call it, like the gangster movies? Tribute. Yeah, but like, you know, when you pay someone to... Protection money? Yeah, sort of like that. Yeah. Protection from you, right? basically. Uh, generally, and again, there are examples even in this article of ours where he he went back on that. But generally, if you paid that gold, he would also leave you alone. Yep. 
because um, he didn't want to lose. Like I said, he wasn't trying to just conquer the world. So he it seemed like he would only undertake a mission or an, or a war if he if there was something in it for him other than just like expanding his kingdom. Yeah, which on a modern map, uh, eventually, what does it say here? Uh, large portions of Eastern and Western Roman empires, from Germany in the west to Romania in the south, to the Netherlands in the north, and Russia and Kazakhstan in the east. And uh, that was generally Attila the Hun's area over about a 10-year span. Uh, well, 19, I think. 19 what? 19 years. Oh, well, 19 years period, but uh-huh. in that 10-year span is when he really like did a lot of his damage. Which is... Dude, that's impressive. And put a big dent in the Roman Empire. That was another thing, too. Like, you can you can say what you want about the guy. And I think we, it's worth pointing out. There's All of this is to say, like, nobody is 100% bad. And when you get this far away, almost 2,000 years away, 1,500 years away from somebody, mm-hmm. like, their character just becomes cartoonish. Mm-hmm. So there is not a lot we can say, especially about the nuances of this guy's character. But... You can point to what he did and say, this man changed the course of history, and he definitely did, especially by basically hastening the fall of the Roman Empire. Right. There's pretty impressive stuff. I feel like we should almost take a break. That was a a nice preamble. All right, let's do it. All right. We'll get back to his birth and start over right after this. Right, so 406 CE is when they think Attila the Hun was born in mm-hmm. uh, Pannonia, which what you would now say is Hungary. Yeah, because by this time the Huns, well, they first appear in the, the Western record in, I think, 91 CE. Tacitus, the historian, Roman historian, says, oh, yeah, by the way, there's these people out there called the Huns. They're a barbarian tribe. Who cares? Watch your back. Well, he didn't even say that. He just basically said there's a barbarian tribe out there. But by the time Attila was was born, the Huns had made a name for themselves as being fierce, fearsome warriors that just basically could overtake anybody, and they had. Yeah, he was not born. Uh, his story is very different from Chinggis Khan's mm-hmm. in that he was born already into, I guess, what you would consider royalty, right? Uh, and and privilege. Yeah, and that they think the Huns came from. Kazakhstan, I think you said? Or their their empire stretched all the way to Kazakhstan. Yeah, they I mean think, Central Asia. They think that's where they probably originated. But by the time Attila was born, um, he was born on the Danube in, in Hungary, which is like the, became the capital of the area they settled. Yeah, and you mentioned that the Huns were known as fierce warriors, um, much like Khan's army. They really made their hay on horses. <laughs> I don't even know if that counts as a pun. It doesn't. All right. It was just delightful, though. <laughs> they were excellent horsemen. Um, I don't know if they rode those little squatty horses like uh, like Khan's army did, but they were great on horseback, apparently so great that they kind of didn't get off their horses to do much yeah, when, that, it, when in terms of battle. But even beyond battle, I saw that they held negotiations on their horses. Why not? Um, <laughs> that they, they were characterized as being one with their horse. 
That, mm. that was one thing, right? <laughs> right, exactly. In the true sense? That was, uh, <laughs> I hope not. Mainly for the horse's sake. Yeah. But um, the, they they were, so the fact that they were amazing horsemen, that's check one mm-hmm. in why they were basically impossible to defeat. Check two was they had a special kind of bow mm. called the Hun bow, right? Yeah, these things are beautiful. It was a recursive bow where the bow itself bent, curved back onto itself, mm-hmm. which meant you had more torque which meant you could shoot an arrow through armor at 100 yards. Yeah, there are all kinds of recurved bows, but this one was especially squatty and kind of short. So it's recurved. It's not recursive? Yeah, recurved bow. Okay, all right. Um, oh, yeah, it was short, which meant it was mobile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you picture just like a U-shaped bow, mm-hmm. that's just a, a bow. But a recurve bends back around to face the other way at both ends right. and both points. Yeah. And this one was, like I said, especially squatty, and it just, it's cool looking. Like yeah. bow enthusiasts collect these things. Right. I can imagine. Hun bows. You say, this is Attila the Hun's very own bow. <laughs> Everybody says that. Uh, so, so wait a minute. So we've got two yeah. things now. We've got that they were basically one with their horse. Mm-hmm. They were so good on a horse. Yes. They could shoot arrows through your armor 100 yards away. Yeah. Uh, almost 100 meters away. Mm-hmm. Um, while on these horses, that's. Check two. Yeah. And then number three is that they didn't fight in any sort of coherent battle formation. It was just show up out of nowhere, ride around, start picking people off, Mm -hmm. scatter, regroup out of nowhere, show up again, pick more people off, scatter, regroup. And like you just, you had no idea that they were coming at any point in time. And they would just come and, and basically waste your army. And there was no formation right. that you could form against. It was just chaos. Yeah, and, and fast. Yes. It's like before you knew what was going on, you're you're getting arrows slung your way. And like you said, from any direction. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, here they come from the north. Right. Like they were all over the place. Uh, it says here in this one article you sent that the soldiers, uh, they wore these heavy leather greased uh Outfits greased with animal fat, which slim good body (laughs) outfit, which is said made them both supple and rain resistant. Right, Uh, maybe that was for the horses, and steel line helmets, chain mail. uh, They're very nimble. They also use swords, of course, and their leather boots. They rode horses so much they didn't even worry about hiking. So Mm -hmm. they would wear these leather boots that had very thin soles, that I guess made your uh, feet more. Responsive to stirrup action? I don't know. Sure. Instead or they like were just a, more comfortable. Yeah, They're like too. isotoner boots. <laughs> Did they make shoes? Oh, no, you're talking about the gloves. They make slippers, I think. Oh, really? I think so. Yeah. All I think of is Dan Marino when I hear that. Uh-huh. Isotoner gloves. Yeah. And uh, Ace Ventura. <laughs> uh, all right, so these are the Huns. They're nomadic. They're chaotic in battle. They're fierce. They're... Their stories precede them. Their legend precedes them. So when you are getting attacked, like, that's got to do a mental number on you. Especially, like, when they came upon towns and cities, like, sometimes entire cities, they would level them, just utterly destroy. They would take everything they wanted, Mm -hmm. kill everybody that they wanted. They would take hostages and slaves and prisoners. um, But then they would just destroy the town. And there was one town in Italy... Um, called uh, Aquilia, Aquilia, I believe. Um, no one knows where it was. They know it existed, but then the Huns got 
they the Hun sacked it, and now no one has any idea what it was because they just utterly destroyed the tank. Wow. That was like the kind of thing they would do, almost just out of spite, just maliciously, you know? Yeah. Because apparently uh, Attila the Hun was known for um, using his fierce reputation f- at, at an advantage sure. when he didn't want to fight or thought that fighting was unwise. Yeah. He could use his reputation to get you to, to surrender, and then maybe you would survive, maybe you wouldn't. Um, but they didn't necessarily need that because they backed up the the fierce reputation. They actually did these things that yeah. people feared them for. And they had a name for the Huns, and apparently specifically Attila the Hun in the Holy Roman or the Roman Empire, this is pre-Holy Roman, they called them the um flagellum dei, the scourge of God. And this is what these Christians thought that that God had sent this horrible, almost devil figure mm-hmm. to come and wipe their towns from the earth because they weren't living upright enough. Yeah, and I saw some historians think that he might have even made that name up. Oh, really? It seems like he was a big promoter of his of his wicked ways mm-hmm. just to scare people. Well, it's still working on me. <laughs> like he would Cuz I'm passing all this stuff off. He was often drawn with like goat's horns and yeah. things like that right. and I don't, I think he encouraged this stuff. Well, he did famously say that wherever he's trod or passed, grass will never grow again. So yeah, he definitely he definitely would play it up. It it didn't hurt his feelings that people said these things about him. Right. So he uh, I don't think we mentioned yet. He uh took over along with his brother, Bleda, B-L-E-D-A, when they were young. Mm-hmm. Uh, their uncles actually, um, there was a lot of biarchy going on at the time with the Huns, which is a little bit unusual yeah. for a couple of people to split ruling duties. And their uncles jointly ruled the Hun Empire. Eventually the brothers took over as co-rulers in 434, mm-hmm. and I think they even had their own territories that they were in charge of. It's not like they were together. Uh, and then eventually Attila was like, eh, I think I'd rather just really operate this show by myself. Right. And he killed his brother. Killed his own brother. That's that's harsh. I didn't see how. Did you see? I didn't. I couldn't find it. No, I couldn't either. I, I saw once a story about a knight, I think, who killed his own brother, but his brother was a priest saying mass. And the knight came in and cut his own brother's head off while he was saying mass. Wow. I'm like, if there is a God, yeah. that really upset him, I'm sure. <laughs> so he and his brother uh, co-rule, and they settle down a little bit uh, on the great, what was known as the Great Hungarian Plains, mm-hmm. a little less nomadic at this point, were the Huns. Yeah, because they were weighed down with so much gold and plunder. Yeah. They just they, they couldn't ride around like they did. So have we reached the point where he's the single ruler now? Yeah, let's go ahead and get rid of his brother. So we should say, uh, I don't know if this name came upon him ascending to um, being the co-ruler with his brother or the single ruler, mm-hmm. but Attila means little father. Mm-hmm. They do not think that this is his birth name because right. that's just, no matter what age or period of history we're talking about, it'd be weird to name your son little father. Yeah. Um, they think it was a, a, a name of respect and affection is how I saw it put, and that they think that this was basically his his king name was Attila. Mm-hmm. They have no idea what his real name was, but they think that Attila was not it. No. But by the time he became ruler, like you said, he was born into a privileged household. Um, he 
he knew what to do from a very early age. His uncles as rulers brought him and his brother Bleda up to mm-hmm. speak Latin. So maybe he did come up with flagellum dei. Maybe. Uh, Goth, which was another Germanic tribe who pl- figure into this picture later on. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, to understand diplomacy, military strategy, horsemanship, obviously. Yeah. Um, all of this stuff. So he was brought up to lead. So it was kind of natural that he would kill his brother and take over the, the entire <laughs> Hun empire. Yeah. And the other, another thing I thought was interesting was even though he was – sort of on a conquest for gold and riches, he lived sort of simply as a ruler. Right. Like all of his his uh, upper uh, subordinates, apparently, they did live the high life and they drank from silver and gold chalices mm-hmm. and had fancy clothes and big, uh, you know, McMansions. Platform shoes. Platform <laughs> shoes with goldfish in the heel. <laughs> and Attila lived in a log house with animal skins on the walls and drank from a wooden cup. Mm-hmm. And even though he wanted to get all this gold, it doesn't look like he lived that way, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, that really kind of opens up the guy for interpretation, you know? Like, it says a couple of things. One, he's surrounded by all these material goods, but his tastes are extraordinarily simple, yeah. and he stuck to it. He, he didn't try to show off at any point. He just was who he was yeah. as far as his tastes went. And then secondly, he also didn't demand that the people subordinate to him live like he lived. Right. That says an enormous amount. Yeah. You know, like there's so many people at the top who want the people below them to act like them, to live like them, to behave like them. So for him to to have, like there was a cult of personality around this guy. And for him to allow and maybe even encourage people to live their own way, totally counter to how he lived— I, I, I don't know. He's a complex figure. Yeah, for sure. Um, should we talk about the Treaty of Margus? Yeah, this is a big turning point in history. Yeah, so this was in 434, uh, and he, I believe, we're going back to when Bleda was still alive. Um, they worked up a peace treaty called the Treaty of Margus with, uh, what is this, the Eastern Roman Empire? Yes. And they basically said, hey— if you return all these Hun refugees, basically people that fled my rule, mm-hmm. return these people to us. How many were there? <clears throat> At least uh, 14, but I think maybe 17. Yeah, like not 17,000, but... 17. 17 people. But that's how much he <laughs> prized loyalty is how I saw it put. Yeah, like I want these people back. And he also didn't want them going off into the, the Roman Empire and stirring up rebellion to come take over the Hunnic Empire. Yeah, exactly. So if you return these people... We'll establish some trading rights that are fair. Mm -hmm. Uh, You guys pay us about 700 pounds of gold every year (laughs) directly to me and my bro. Right. And we'll, like, we'll lay off. And you can just kind of do your thing here in the Eastern Roman Empire. Yeah, it's extortion. Yeah. I saw that that Attila was, uh, he plundered in war and extorted in peacetime. That's what he did. Oh, okay. So, yeah, he said, we won't invade you if you pay us 700 pounds of gold a year. And And he didn't for a while. He didn't, but then he said um, there was another part of this, too. He said that that he wanted not just the um, traitorous Huns who left uh, or escaped his rule Mm -hmm. to be returned to him. He also wanted um, a Roman bishop who he believed had come into the Hunnic Empire and desecrated some graves and stolen grave goods from the graves to be handed over to him. And apparently the Eastern Empire uh, Emperor Theodosius II 
said, hey, man, I, I, gave, I gave all of the Huns I could find in the empire over to you, and this bishop, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't think this is actually true. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't give over the bishop. And so Attila actually said, um, you guys just broke the treaty. Yeah. We're invading. And he did invade. And they actually invaded through Margus, and the guy who opened the gates of Margus to, for them to the Huns was the bishop who stole the grave goods. So had the emperor handed over this guy, the the invasion of Italy by the Huns would have never happened. <laughs> <laughs> That's the sound that played when he opened that gate. Uh-huh. Uh, apparently they got within about 20 miles of Constantinople, and uh, Theodosius too said, whoa, you're getting a little too close. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about... 2,100 pounds of gold per year, three times as much gold. Mm-hmm. And I believe that that quelled Attila's desires for temporarily at least. Temporarily. So yeah. that just meant with Attila that he just turned his sight somewhere else. Yeah. You, you want to take a break? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Okay, man, we're back. So um, the Eastern Roman Empire has said, all right, here, 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 take some more gold, Mm -hmm. um, leave us alone. And he did for for a little while. But one of the things that um, Attila the Hun did was he created like a domino effect. There were other Germanic tribes of barbarians, I'm making air quotes, everybody, um, who were in the area yeah, that got pushed out of the area and into the Roman Empire by the Huns. So the Huns pushed out the Alans, the Alans pushed out the Goths, the Goths pushed out some other tribes. And as a result, you now had other Germanic tribes living in the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. It's a big seed that got planted by the Huns because the Huns pushed everybody out and took over their empire, right? Yeah. This actually led to the downfall of the Roman Empire later on. Yeah, was that the Great Migration? Yeah, or the uh, wandering of the nations. Now, is this when people split and just fractured the Roman Empire? So, I no. didn't fully get that. So what happened was the um, the the these different tribes got pushed into the Roman Empire. The Goths, started living. the punks, the post-punks, right. and, and then the, the emo the, kids. The Vandals. <laughs> the Vandals. Isn't that cool? Uh-huh. So um, the, the Visigoths in particular got pushed into there, and they were living as Roman subjects under Roman rule, but they were not being treated very well by the Roman governors of uh-huh. the territories they lived in, and they eventually rose up against Rome, against the Roman Empire in the areas where they lived, and... These little battles and skirmishes that that the, that Rome was having or the Roman Empire was having with these groups that would have otherwise not been in their borders started to weaken the empire oh, okay. enough that uh, it actually fell. The the I think it was the Goths that actually sacked Rome and and crumbled the Roman Empire, and the whole reason they could make it to Rome was because they were in the Roman Empire already because the Huns had pushed them in there years before and set off this chain of events that led to maybe the most powerful empire in the history of the world. Yeah. 
Attila the Hun did that. It wasn't Susie and her banshees? No. Leading the goths? No. <laughs> did you like them? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. They were great. I generally wasn't into that goth thing, though. Was she goth? Yes. Okay. I don't <laughs> even know what counts. She, you didn't like the, the Cure or the Smiths or... I guess the Smiths weren't weren't goth, but The Cure definitely was. You didn't like The Cure? I love The Cure, but were you're they go- goth? Chuck, you're goth. Really? My friend, you're goth. All right. I'll get my mascara. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, some of those terms, I don't even know, like, what the dividing line is. I don't... You know? You know, people are so hung up on that kind of thing. It's sure. like, do you like The Cure? Yes. Good. You're smart for liking The Cure. They're great. And you're a goth. Uh, Should we talk about his weird marriage uh, situation? Yes. So this was odd. He had, well, obviously he had a bunch of wives because that's just the way it was back then. No one knows how many wives. I don't think it's like anything like Chinggis Khan where they think he fathered like half the world's uh, people Mm -hmm. or anything like that. But he had a share of wives. uh, And this was an interesting thing here in the spring of 1450. There was a woman named Honoria, and she was the sister of uh, Valentinian III, (laughs) emperor of Western Rome. He was trying to marry her off to an aristocrat, Mm -hmm. as you do. Like, you're my sister. Here, take this husband. Go. He'll fit. Get out of my hair. (laughs) I'm tired of hearing about it. Uh, And she was like, I don't really like this guy who you're trying to hook me up with. So I'm going to do a weird thing. He's got no hair growing out of his <laughs> nose. And he's like, everybody has hair growing out of their nose. <laughs> it's the fifth century. <laughs> it's true. Uh, so she sends her engagement ring to Attila and said, hey, I don't want to marry this guy. Can you help me out? This is a very bizarre act. It's a bizarre act because Attila basically sees this as, oh, she wants to marry me because I've got this little wedding ring now I put on my pinky toe. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go claim this bride, and I also want half of your empire mm-hmm. as dowry. Yeah, half of the Western Roman Empire. He demanded his dowry, and he was coming to get Honoria. Would you it, call her Honoria? Honoria, Honoria. <laughs> and it seems to me like Honoria was kind of like immediately like, what? Like, yeah, like, I, I didn't really. I didn't. What? I didn't. How is this woman not more famous? I don't know. Like, what a blunder. This is a crazy blunder that led to a huge sacking of Rome. Yeah. And why, like, I feel like there's part of the story missing. Why reach out to Attila the Hunt? From what I saw, (laughs) there was no, they'd never met before. There was no interaction whatsoever. She just basically said, here, servant, take this ring to Attila the Hunt. I don't know where he is. Go find him. He wasn't like met her years ago, and it's like, hey, if you ever need anything. Right. Remember me from high school in Noria? Uh, give me a call. I'll sack whatever needs sacking. None of that happened from what I understand. Right. I guess this dude was just the baddest, fiercest guy that Honoria right. could think of, and she said, help. She really, really made a misstep in including the engagement ring or maybe <laughs> even reaching out at all. But yeah, the engagement ring was – it gave Attila the Hun – just enough entree to say, oh, this is this is a pretty good reason to to invade the Western Roman Empire, which he did. That's right. Looking uh, for Honoria. Uh, that was the, the pretense. Yeah, but on his way, he took another wife uh, named Ildiko. I think so. All right. And on their wedding night, he actually died. He was not known, especially for the time, to be like a great like drinker. I mean, he wasn't a teetotaler. No, but he was very moderate, temperate 
person yeah. as far as that stuff goes. Yeah, for the most part, he wasn't like the rest of the Huns that mm. were just, you know, getting wasted every or, night. Or the rest of the Western Roman or Eastern Roman Empire. Like, yeah. But he was basically the one large area ruler mm-hmm. who wasn't like just getting wasted and eating like 500 turkey legs at a time. Right. He was different in that sense for sure. Yeah, he was the only one that didn't have gout. Yeah, I guess. As far as I know. Sure. Uh, so he marries this lady. Apparently he did drink a little bit too much on his wedding night and supposedly was prone to nosebleeds. And as the story goes, in the middle of the night, had a some sort of massive nosebleed. Mm-hmm. Also saw something about an artery bursting mm-hmm. uh, and choked on his blood in his sleep and died. Yeah, that's supposedly how Attila the Hun died. Weird story. Yeah. But believable, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the alternative explanation is that Ildico uh, murdered him or um, abetted an assassination um, that was carried out by, I think, one of the—either the Eastern or Western Roman emperors. Either way, like, they they think—I got the impression that that's the generally accepted idea is that he choked on his own blood. He basically died of natural causes, which, I mean, it's like, gosh, you overindulge one night— yeah. And you pay for it with your life, you know. Yeah. But throughout throughout his reign, we left out a huge chunk of, of his history. Oh, sure. At some point, he turned his attention to Gaul. Yeah. France, modern-day France, Belgium area. Mm-hmm. And that's where he suffered his one defeat. So out of the entire 19 years this guy was running around Eurasia, terrorizing it, um, he suffered one defeat. And even then, it was really a draw. But he uh, he attacked Gaul, and I with think, like two hundred thousand troops. Yes, it's amazing. And the Western Roman Emperor got with the Goths and said, "You guys, we got to do something about this." And they managed to basically enter into a draw with the Huns, so much so that the Huns had to withdraw to their camp and eventually left Gaul after this. But it was supposedly one of the bloodiest battles in the history of of the world. Yeah, they managed to fight him back after, and this is after the beginning was definitely going in the favor of the Huns. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it looked like the writing was on the wall, mm-hmm. and that was that was a big comeback. But imagine basically spending every day of your life engaged in conquest and battle, mm-hmm. and you got one loss to your name. Yeah, you got to have one. <laughs> Everybody's got to have the ups with the downs, right? Yeah. Well, let's talk about his 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 burial after his death. Yeah, this is pretty interesting. Um, after he died, his his horsemen, his followers, uh, they cut off their hair, they smeared blood all over their face, and they slowly circled him on their horses. Um, I guess just I don't know if that was a uh, sign of respect that normally happens, or if they were just reacting instinctively. Uh, or if it was some old ritual. But at any rate, they just slowly rode around his body uh, that was in a tent. Eventually, he went in three coffins. Yeah. Which makes me think that he could still be found. Yes. uh, Because he was in a coffin of gold, silver, and iron, apparently. Like a, a, what is it, a Matryoshka-nesque? Oh, I don't know. Matryoshka? (laughs) What is that? You know, the little Russian dolls that oh, nest inside one another? Sure, Russian nesting dolls? Let's just call them that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I didn't know they had a I think official it's ma- name. Matroika. Yeah? I think so. I love those. Yeah, they're great. And show me a child that's not delighted by one of those. Yeah. Little things inside of other things. I'll show you a dullard. 
Uh, so they, they put him in three coffins. According to legend, they divert a river, um, like fully dam up a river and bury him in the riverbed mm-hmm. and then release the river once again so and that his grave would never be found. They also killed the people who oh, well, sure. buried him so that they couldn't tell anybody. Yeah, who were slaves. So there's there's actually, so this sounds like a total, like Paul Bunyan-esque tall tale, right? Yeah. There's actually historical evidence that this had been done at least two other times. The Emperor Gilgamesh, mm-hmm. you know, the Epic of Gilgamesh? Sure. They believe that they found his resting place under the Euphrates, and legend has it that they diverted the Euphrates to bury him in the riverbed for the same exact reason. They think they've actually found Gilgamesh's burying place. And then um, I think Theodosius the first. The Goth? Yeah, the Goth king who was killed in one of those battles in Gaul, the one that, that repelled King, um, Attila the Hun. Mm, um, almost. I know. <laughs> he was buried in a diverted river as well. Oh, so really? So they're saying, that like, been a thing. they think this actually may have happened. Yeah. Which means that you, if you search, I'll bet it was the Danube that they buried him in, but if you search a river... I would I would start with the Danube because that's where the capital of the the Huns was. Could they divert the Danube though? I don't know. Maybe a part of it. Who yeah. knows? That that maybe one day Attila the Huns' um, grave will be found. Especially as archaeological technology advances, I guarantee you, in fifty years, we're going to have found Attila the Huns' grave. Man, can and you it imagine? will be under a riverbed, in three coffins. Yes, I really think that that's for real. I believe it. Believe it. Oh, wait, you said you did. Yeah. Uh, you got anything else? No, I mean, that was, there's a lot of Attila the Hun stuff that we did not get to. I, can I add one more thing? Yeah. I want to defend my use of bar- barbarian. One of the, I think, contemporary historians described the Huns as not making no use of fire. They didn't even use fire, supposedly. They didn't cook their food. They would eat roots from the ground (laughs) and then raw meat that they would put between their thighs and the saddle to tenderize it, I guess. And then they would eat that. They're barbarians, okay? I saw that article. It said uh, something like half raw. And they said, we say half raw because they would hold it between their thighs to cook it? Yeah. Oy. You got some beef thighs there. You got some red stained thighs. That sounds like, uh, I don't know what that sounds like on the menu. Something uh, that's been cooked from the thighs of a hun. <laughs> right. It's kind of like, it's one hipster step above sous vide cooking, really, <laughs> if you think about it. Okay, now we're done. Nothing like the warm glow of a hun testicle. <laughs> Just like rubbing easy, against some Easy el- bake oven. <laughs> yeah. Man. Oh, boy. This is going off the rails here. Yeah, it is. So uh, if you want to know more about the Huns, you can type that word in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And since I said that, it's time for Listener Mail. Uh, I'm going to call this follow-up to... We got a surprising amount of email from that goofy show we did on... Uh, the Jobs? Yeah. I know. It was like a high-volume high episode. Yeah. I was surprised. You never know. Uh, and by the way, uh, we had a lot of people write in and say, by the way, there is still chariot racing. Yeah. It's called harness racing. Pin setters. And I take issue with that. Harness racing is harness racing. Those are not chariots. Oh, yeah, okay. What I don't about, think it's the same thing. There are pin setters and lamplighters, too. 
Basically, it was a Correct. fraudulent episode. <laughs> no, but, but I'm with you. Harness racing is not chariot racing. No, like standing up in a, in a wooden box being pulled by eight horses is not the same thing as a harness race. I've been no. to a harness race. I have too. My dad used to take us to those. Really? He'd let us bet like a dollar on them. I don't think I ever won. Yeah? Which is probably good for my gambling bug. It never took off at a young age. Yeah. Just the Skittles and poker. Yeah, I'm not a big gambler either. Uh, okay. All right, so anyway, this is about lamplighters. This is from Carlos in uh, Mexico. Hey, guys, I found the stuff you talk about about lamplighting fascinating. I'd like to add some extra info. Back in the day, people used to tip and or threaten the lamplighters to leave the lamp near a park bench or something turned off so couples could have more privacy. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, hey, don't like that lamp. I got to cure some meat over here. <laughs> You know? The Hun way. The Hun way. Uh, in fact, there is a Spanish folk song by the Churumbelas, suggestion on how to pronounce it, Churumbelas. Uh, well, is it right. a DJ? It's a C-H pronounced like a J-U, he says. Churumbelas. Okay. All right. Uh, about a lamplighter being harassed by couples every night to leave the lamp off. Uh, the chorus loosely translates as follows. Lamplighter, go a little over there and leave this lamp off. In love affairs, the lamp, the light of lamp always gets in the way. And this song uh, is from the song Ferrolero by the Chumbarellas. How about that? I think you made it through quite nicely. Uh, and this is from Carlos from Guadalajara, and he also wants to suggest a topic. Uh-huh. How capture work. Oh, nice. Did we not cover that? No. We could do a whole one on, like, CAPTCHA and the Turing test and all that. That'd be cool. Because CAPTCHA stands for something, right? Stands for... Uh, Computer Automated... PAP Test. PAP something test. <laughs> to pap. tell computers and humans apart. I know that's the end. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe I think we did something about that on our dumb TV show. That's what it was. You're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, if you want to get in touch with us to find out what dumb TV show Chuck's talking about. <laughs> Good luck, because we don't talk about it any longer. Um, you can follow us by going on to our website, stuffyoushouldknow.com, looking for all of the links to our social medias, and then meeting us there. Mm-hmm. You can also send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 